alluded to this just a little bit ago. We live in this time we call the now and the not yet. (laughs) I mean, it's obviously now. It's going to be a not yet. But what we mean by that is that we live in the between of God's coming in Jesus the first time in Christ as a baby, incarnation, in the flesh, in body, and the time when He comes again in full measure to consummate what He started to finish the work He started. So we live in this sort of in-between, but at the same time, it's a time where we experience the kind of uh, waiting for God the first time. And not exactly the same way, because we're on this side of the knowledge of Christ and salvation, but it's still an in-between time where we experience this tension of, of waiting. I think a lot of times we think of waiting on God as something that is a passive activity. Like, well, you, if you don't know what the answer is, or you don't know where to go next, then just, you know, just, Wait. I mean, that's what the, the word connotes to us. That we just passively, like, like we're inert, waiting for God to act. Okay, Jesus. <clears throat> what we're going to see today is that godly waiting is entirely different than that. Godly, biblical, Christ-like waiting is the kind of waiting that, that works with what God is doing, that is attentive to the work of God in the world, seeing it, being focused on it, and participating in it while we're waiting for Jesus, while we're waiting for His return, while we're waiting for God to act in ways that fit with His kingdom. This is a tension for us. It's a hard thing. We think waiting is inert. We think waiting is just sitting there. My wife and I uh, went to a restaurant last night, a new restaurant in Johnson City. And we were excited about being at this restaurant, cool new place, and, uh, and we got sat in this restaurant, and uh, after a few minutes, this guy walks up to us and says, hi, I'm Paul, I'll be your waiter. Great, Paul, thanks. Uh, he says, can we go ahead and get you started, can I take your drink order? And uh, <clears throat> my wife says, yeah, I'll, I'll have uh, a water, no lemon, uh, and I say, I'll take uh, a double shot of Bacardi because I've got to preach tomorrow. Thank you for at least giving me something. <laughs> First service was like, <laughs> <laughs> I only had one shot. <laughs> so, so this guy, Paul, says, great, I'll get your waters. I got water. So, so this guy, Paul, says, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and take care of that for you. Well, what he does was sort of weird. He goes over to a, a table across the way, just over a little bit, and he sits down at this table. Few minutes pass by. Uh, Dagny and I, my wife and I, are sitting there going, "What is going on here?" And this guy just sits there five minutes, six minutes, uh, seven or eight minutes go by, and I think I'm going to go and ask this guy what in the world's going on. So I go go over and uh, and I say to Paul, <clears throat> I say, "So are you the guy who's supposed to get our drinks?" And he says the weirdest thing to me. He says the weirdest thing. He says, "No, I already told you. I'm just a waiter." Isn't that a lot like who we are sometimes? It's actually not a true story. I totally made it up. (laughs) But it's a lot like how we act when we think, God's supposed to do something. Here are all these promises. I'm sitting here waiting. Make it happen, Lord. Oftentimes, that's kind of how we operate in the now and the not yet, waiting for God to act. I'm Scott and I'm a waiter. (laughs) Do something, Jesus. 
What we're going to see in Scripture here is that it's really something where we are looking where God acts, where he's acting, where the kingdom is coming, and we are finding that and we are participating in that, which means we have eyes to see. We have, have to have hearts that know where that's happening. We have to have a deep personal relationship with God so that we can see all that going on. And, and this is a problem for us. I mean, listen, we've, we've all experienced having to wait in life in a way that can be hard. Uh, maybe you've had to wait for things like the payday to come, the social security check to come, maybe the disability check to come. And that, that time when you're sitting here waiting for it, what do you do? Do you just not work until it comes? Or do you keep doing something that participates in what would help you? Maybe you've uh, been waiting for Mr. and Mrs. Mr. or Mrs. Right or Mr. or Mrs. Good Enough. And so you're sitting here and you're thinking, all right, here I am. That's not how it works. Nothing's going to happen if you're sitting there waiting inattentively, with no expectation, with no work, with no seeking after Mr. or Mrs. Right. Biblical, godly, attentive waiting is something that moves somewhere, that does something, that sees where God is working and participates in it, finds ways for participating in that. Maybe you've been waiting for something like an approval for a loan. Maybe you've had to wait for uh, an answer to prayer. Maybe you're still waiting for some of these things. Maybe you've uh, had to wait for uh, something like pregnancy test results. I couldn't think of that. Maybe you've had to sit there and wait for things like that and, 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 and the, the in-between time is uncomfortable. Maybe, maybe you're waiting for the pain to stop. Recently, we had to wait for the judge's decision. And it was, a, it was kind of a hard time for us because there were months upon months upon months of us not having any idea what was going to happen. Because we knew at the end of this, uh, we might have a new daughter in our family. And so we waited. And it was kind of painstaking. But did we just sit here and, and, and wait in this spot, not continuing to love this girl who lives in our house? Because at the time she was foster, she wasn't a Wakefield. She's a Wakefield now. But, but while we're waiting for that judge's decision, did we just sit there inert? We're, we're going to change nothing about how we treat this, this baby, this daughter of ours. We work toward that end. We take our, our stewardship of our resources toward that end. We love that daughter. We don't sit there inertly going, okay, judge, make a decision. But that's the place where a lot of us end up sometimes in our Christian walk. This consumeristic, Jesus work on me, I'll sit here till you do that kind of mentality. And, and friends, that's irresponsible with the gift of grace. That's being irresponsible with the gift of grace that we have. You may think, oh, this isn't me. That's not me. That's not how I act. <clears throat> Every once in a while, I'll be in the store, and I'll not wait patiently. And I'll think to myself along the way something like, okay, can we go with the scanner thing just a little bit faster so that the 17 people behind me don't like incite rebellion so that we can move on with our lives. And, and by the time 
by the time I get to the cashier, I've, I've, I've gotten to the point where it's not just something where I'm impatient with waiting. Uh, it's something where I am sitting there going, I told you a hundred times before this, milk and eggs go in separate bags. And, and, and by the time I'm walking out the door, practically to the end of the, the being with the cashier, I have judged people around her thinking they're all colluding against me because I'm impatiently waiting. You think this isn't you, but it's you. It's you being an inattentive, self-righteous, snarking and criticizing waiter. Here's what we do. I don't like her. That's what we do when we wait. I do not like how this is going. That's how we wait. I am so tired of this presidency is so corrupt. This is who we are as we wait. This is who we are as we wait. Snarking, critical, inattentive to the work of God. And what happens when we do that is we take ourselves out of the game. We take ourselves out of the game of the kingdom work that God wants to make happen. Simeon and Anna were attentive waiters seeking where God was working aligning their hearts with who God is through the Holy Spirit so that when they saw God work, they joined with Him. They could have been like the Pharisees or like us, sitting at bay, watching everybody else perform in the game, do something while we sit going, that's not working. I don't like that. (laughs) We take ourselves out of the game. Anna and Simeon are in Scriptures because they were in the game. They were a part of the work of the kingdom of God. And so let's, let's look at some of the things that go on in the life of an attentive waiter. Turn with me to Luke 2. Luke 2, verses 22 to 38. What we're learning here in this series, and, and especially today in, in general terms, is that an inattentive waiter is a loafer. And that, that's kind of what we end up being when we take ourselves out of the game. We're a loafer. We're a, a stand-on-the-sidelines critical loafer. What the world needs is godly waiters who are attentive, who are attentive, who are expecting God to act, who are, who are attentive to uh, the knowledge and the hope that God is going to continue to act because we serve a God who shows up. He's a God who shows up. He showed up in the person of Jesus. He has kept all his promises till then, since then, and forever from here on. He's a God who shows up. He has, he will, which means we can. Which means that we can. So instead of taking ourselves out of the game, look to see where God is working and be an attentive, godly waiter. Verse 22 is where we jump in to hear about uh, sort of the background to what's going on here. We're going to go through this pretty quickly here and jump to Simeon and Anna soon. Uh, Verse 21, sorry, I think I said 22. Verse 21 is the beginning of uh, some of what's going on here in background. It says, And at at the end of eight days, 
when he was circumcised, he there, of course, is Jesus. When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Three things to point out real quickly. It says at the end of eight days, he was circumcised. Luke is a very careful and attentive writer. He includes things on purpose. He takes things out on purpose. So he includes things for a reason and sometimes excludes things for a reason. And he says that he was circumcised on the eighth day, which is the way that Jews did it. What it means is it's a way of saying this baby was born under the covenant, under the law of Moses. So he was born under the law in a way which means move forward a number of years when his perfect sinless life died on the cross it works to effect a perfect righteousness for us it wouldn't have worked if he hadn't been that way this is showing he's under the law it says when the time i'm sorry at the end of eight days when he was circumcised he was called jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived the second thing we want to see here is his name jesus which means a few things. It means Savior, salvation, the Lord is my salvation. Uh, He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, which is to say, traditionally a ceremony like this, the mother and the father would do the naming. Well, the mother and father here, Mary and Joseph, Luke is being careful to show us, aren't the ones naming him. This is Jesus being named by his father. It says he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel. The angel is just a messenger saying, angel Gabriel saying to Mary beforehand, you are going to name him this because this is God naming his son. Two things. Number one, circumcision shows he's under the covenant. Number two, his name is Jesus showing his divine purpose. When something is named in the Old Testament, especially Hebrew tradition, it's giving it its purpose. And then the third thing there that he just sort of kind of alludes to in passing, uh, says he was conceived in the womb. Conception happens in the womb. But this is a way of saying this is the virgin birth. God does this. So three things that are kind of background here to show that when Jesus came in the fullness of time, meaning at the right time, when God said it was the perfect time, he came under the law. He was a part of God's divine purpose. and, And God's the one behind his arrival. Verse 22 A little more background says when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Purification was one of the two ceremonies we're going to look at here. And Luke doesn't really stress it a whole lot, so we won't worry about it either. It says they brought him up to Jerusalem. Wherever you came from around Jerusalem, didn't matter which direction, it was always up because Jerusalem's up high on a hill there. So they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. This word present here is, a, is a, an important word that just kind of means dedication. It's a commitment ceremony. It was something that, that Jews did to say, this baby is yours, God. I mean, this is a way of saying, this child who you've given to us to take care of is yours. Now, there were pagan gods who would, would kind of demand a sacrifice and sometimes that sacrifice was, was like a child. It was like a baby. Now, this kind of sacrifice wasn't of a child. So there was instead, important word, instead the sacrifice of a lamb given at this, at this dedication ceremony. There were two parts to it. Luke emphasizes the sacrifice part. They were also required to give five shekels to the temple. And Luke just kind of bypasses that idea and stresses... Like it says here, 
Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, set apart to the Lord's purposes, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. We're in verse 24 here. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. He doesn't mention the lamb there because the family has the option if it doesn't have the the, the funds to take uh, a lamb to this ceremony. They could have chosen uh, two turtle doves or young pigeons. So that's what he mentions there, which means that uh, Jesus comes from a poor family. So verse 25 here is where we start to meet Simeon. And we've looked at these first few verses just as a way of saying, listen, at the right time to fulfill God's promises, a whole slew of predictions and promises and prophecies that happened in the Old Testament that are dozens and dozens and dozens more than we've mentioned just now. We've just mentioned a few things like circumcised, born of a virgin. His name is Jesus and salvation, and he brings God's kingdom to the world. Those kinds of things that we've talked about here are a way of saying God shows up at the right time. Just in a few verses there. 21 through 24, God shows up. He always has, He will, and you can. Verse 25, we meet Simeon. Luke tells us quite a bit more about Simeon than Anna. And so let's, let's kind of learn a little bit about what godly waiting means here. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Here in this verse, uh, it's important to to see a few things here. Righteous and devout is something that uh, characterized Simeon, which puts him in pretty high company. Uh, Not a lot of folks in Scripture get this kind of uh, description of righteous and devout. It means he's uh, like the prophets who were known as righteous and devout. That's one of the parts of, of, of seeing the kingdom at work that is a necessary component of participating in God's work. Righteous and devout. It says he was waiting. That's where we get our series title from here. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word consolation there means comfort. And there are a number of passages in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament. We'll look at one of each here in just a second. A number of places that describe the freedom from sin as comfort, as rest, as a consolation. It's a comfort from the life of works that don't work. So Jesus comes and there's rest and comfort, and that's what Simeon was waiting for. One of the famous passages... Uh, probably the most famous in the Old Testament that speaks about this is Isaiah 40, and we're going to show that up here now. Isaiah 40, just the first couple verses there. This is God speaking to Jerusalem. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. In Matthew 11:28 and 9, Jesus Knowing full well what he's saying about himself in Matthew 11, 28 and 9 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, there's that word about comfort, rest. Take my yoke upon you, as opposed to the yoke of the world, as opposed to the yoke of works, the yoke of the Pharisees is what he's talking about in that context. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly or humble in heart, and you will find rest. There's that word again, 
for your souls. This is what Simeon was waiting for. Comfort and rest from a life of works that don't work. So that Jesus' life, His work, would work. So that's what Simeon was waiting for. God's promise of salvation from sin. And Simeon did get to see salvation face to face here. Look at verse 26. He got to see that promised salvation from sin face to face. It says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, which means indicator of being a godly waiter, deep personal relationship with God. If you want to see where God works, have a deep personal relationship with Him through the Holy Spirit and the Word. If you want to see where He's working and where He shows up, deep personal relationship. Verse 26, It had been revealed to Him because of His deep personal relationship by the Holy Spirit that He would not see death before He had seen the Lord's Christ. Can you can you imagine the sense of anticipation and excitement to, to, to know that the most consequential, the, the most important thing that's ever happened in the history of the universe is something that is happening now and God has told me that I'm going to get to see it before I die. Look at his response. Look at his response here in a bit. He came in the Spirit into the temple because he was listening to the Lord. He was aware. He was there. Not only did God show up, he showed up. When he came in the spirit into the temple, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon here recognizes that it's go time when they come in. Verse 28, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. I can die now because you've fulfilled your promise to me. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which is to say to see Christ is to see the Savior, is to see salvation. Your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is him becoming a bit of a prophet here to say that he's a light for revelation, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, verse 32, and for glory to your, purple, to, to your people, Israel. They're not purple, they're people. And for glory to your people, Israel. Verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. It doesn't mean that Joseph and Mary didn't understand what was going on here. It just means they marveled. I mean, if your son has things like that said about him, you would marvel if you knew everything that would happen. As we learn from the next few verses here, the marveling would be something uh, that would also uh, be tempered by uh, some difficulty and frustration and loss and pain. Uh, This is more of Simeon being prophetic here. Look at verses 34 and 5. It says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon is drawing a connection here uh, between Jesus and uh, other prophetic statements, but especially this statement. Jesus, he's drawing a connection here between Jesus and a prophetic statement in Isaiah 8, in Isaiah 8:14, where it calls the Lord 
a stone of offense, a rock of offense, uh, a stumbling stone. Later on, Jesus, knowing full well what he was saying, said in Matthew 10:34, he said, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. So the coming of, of Jesus was something that brought salvation. There are two parts of this. There are, there's a part that saves and a part that judges. Jesus later on talks about sheep and goats, of separating the saved and the lost, the sheep and the goats. And so Simeon is saying, this, this, child, is, this child is going to bring the kingdom into the world. And Simeon and his parents were beginning to be witnesses to it here. So Simeon obviously is a man who has a, a deep, personal, intimate relationship with God so that he can see where God's working. So that his heart is aligned as closely as he can get it to the heart of God. So that when God is acting in the world, he sees it and he participates with him. That's one of the marks of godly, attentive waiting. We don't know much about Anna here, the second waiter. She's also called Hannah in some translations. Verse 36 begins to tell us how she publicly welcomes baby Jesus into the world here. Uh, Verse 36 says, There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Wording here about her age is a a little confusing. Tradition says about 105 years probably. Uh, Whatever the case, she was old, and as the text makes clear, she was a lot like Simeon, faithful and righteous and devout. She shows up. She's in the temple praising and praying and worshiping God. When this happens, when, when Joseph and Mary bring in the baby, Jesus, it says she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Another lesson about, about godly waiting is that godly waiters, attentive waiters, show up. They show up. They're in the right place at the right time for a reason. They're seeking God. They're hearing from the Holy Spirit. And so they show up where God's working. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. She was there every time the doors were open, as we often say, in the right place at the right time. Verse 38, it says, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were, here's that word again, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. I say word again because at the beginning, it talks about Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel. Here it talks about Anna waiting for the redemption of Israel. Simeon and Anna wouldn't have been at the right place at the right time if they didn't have a deep personal relationship with God. If they hadn't been in the temple... And if they didn't see with eyes of faith, that's a part of godly waiting. To wait with the hope, with the expectation, with the anticipation that because God is a God of faithfulness who has shown up, that He is going to. And that that promise means your participation in the work that He's doing in the kingdom, He will use for His purposes and to bring joy to your life. 
To be a godly, attentive waiter is not to sit here inert. To be a godly, attentive waiter is to act with the knowledge and the hope that God will continue to show up as He always has. He has, He will, and so can you. Let's pray, friends.